You know, one thing that has been brought up to me several times by devs is I need to be able to access the serial port. Inwardly, I'm thinking it, it, it's 2010 and you need to talk <laughs> to a serial port. Well, it's like, what do they want to do? A Silverlight application with a dongle or, you know? <laughs> Welcome to Pixelate Radio on the web at getpixelated.com. Now, here's your host, Craig Shoemaker. Hey there, and welcome back to the show. Now, Silverlight 4 Beta ushers in a whole host of new features aimed directly at line-of-business applications. Well, today we have expert Silverlightist and famed developer Jeff Prozeist of Wintelect to discuss these new features and their underlying implications. In addition, we'll talk about the benefits and limitations of harnessing Windows-only features and dispel some common misconceptions around out-of-browser apps. Also, we'll learn what Jeff looks forward to most for the future of Silverlight. So Silverlight's strengths so far have been really surrounding around media, around vector graphics and working with XAML and doing the designer type of, of things that we're used to seeing maybe in Flash. But really, it, it hadn't yet turned the corner to really focus on the whole idea of, of making applications easy for business people to use, easy for um, just the, the regular guy sitting at his desk trying to get things done instead of just looking at uh, flashing things and spinning things and stuff like that. Well, the beta of version 4, like I said at the show opener, has turned the corner and has really begun to focus on these whole uh, set of features that are, are particularly interesting for, for the developers and users who want to use it in a real business context. So I start off talking to Jeff, asking him about his perspective on Silverlight 4 Beta and some of the things that he's really excited about. What I see with each new version is uh, Silverlight just getting better and better and more functional, um, gains more features. The delta between Silverlight and WPF uh, gets smaller and smaller. And uh, uh, as you may well know, Craig, uh, the big focus in Silverlight 4 um, is adding the features that developers need to build LOB apps or line of business apps. And that's why uh, there's uh, Silverlight 4 finally has the ability to print, for example, uh, something that um, a lot of Microsoft customers requested. In fact, I've had a number of uh, companies tell me if until Silverlight can print, uh, we can't seriously consider the technology. So, mm. you know, I'm excited about all the features. Printing isn't uh, the sexiest thing in the world as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> but I'm glad it's there because hopefully that's going to remove one more hurdle that's preventing companies from seriously considering the platform. Okay. Well, now, I want to get into some of these specifics, but you did mention something that I, I want to touch on right up front here. And, and that was when, when we were at PDC, I remember them discussing all of the different new features that Silverlight 4 had, and people began erupting on Twitter saying, well, is WPF dead? And um, I was just curious, what, what's your perspective on that assertion? Yeah, it's a good question. And it's funny, I'm, I'm asked that question a lot these days, and, and I'm not sure I have the right answer, but, but let me take a stab at it. Um, for one thing, uh, Silverlight is not going to kill WPF. Uh, I don't think so. And, and I think that if you were to uh, ask members of the Silverlight team, is, is your goal to uh, kill WPF? They're going to say, no, it's not. Um, but it is absolutely true that the delta between the two gets smaller and smaller. So, so here's kind of how I look at it. If, um, if I'm building software um, and I control the platform or I know what that platform is, uh, maybe this application's only going to be deployed behind the firewall 
uh, inside my company, and I know for a fact uh, that everyone is running Windows and has .NET Framework 3.0 or higher installed, uh, am I going to choose WPF or Silverlight? I'm going to choose WPF every time because there's more features there and more functionality. But, um, uh, you know, so often today, um, sometimes for the wrong reasons, we make decisions about how we architect software uh, and deploy software. Uh, a lot of companies have decided that the browser is the delivery mechanism for software. Um, and when that is the case, and especially when uh, there's some diversity in that client platform, then Silverlight is absolutely the way to go. So I think the two will, will coexist. In fact, I have no doubt that they will. Neither is going to kill the other. There is uh, quite a lot of overlap between them, granted, um, uh, in the scenarios in which you can use them. But essentially, one is for browser-based apps. The other is not. Although, you know, interestingly enough, Yes, you can build XBAPs, browser-based apps in WPF, and <laughs> you can now build applications in Silverlight that run outside of the browser. But, but Craig, let me tell you one thing that, that I find kind of interesting. Um, and people may be surprised to hear this, but uh, it's true. Silverlight is the best thing that ever happened at WPF because until Silverlight came around, uh, so few developers, relatively speaking, were really cognizant of WPF and what it was all about. I can't tell you how many times when I presented Silverlight at a conference or, or taught a class or something, someone has come up to me and said, you mean I can do this with WPF also? <laughs> Silverlight is driving WPF adoption rates, I believe. And I think that will continue. I really do. I think it's well stated, and I like how you, how you placed it simply. Um, just saying about basically if you have a browser, if you have multiple clients that you want to target. And, and I think it's unfortunate that developers often are so quick to declare things dead and have to have them say, well, this is better than the other. I mean, I know technology runs fast, but that doesn't mean two things that are very similar can't coexist. Well, you're right. And I think we are sometimes too quick to declare things dead. So, uh, Craig, I'm going to make a prediction for you. Now, it's easy to do this because neither you nor I am going to be alive to know if it comes true. <laughs> but I will predict that a hundred years from now, there will still be uh, well-known websites out there that are running HTML and JavaScript. Oh, yeah. I would absolutely Sad, agree with you. but true. It's going to yeah. be around for a long time. You know, a lot of people talk about HTML5 now and say, so what is HTML5 going to mean for Silverlight? I've, heard, I've had people say, Silverlight's going to die as soon as HTML5 comes out. Um, no way that's true. Um, I have no idea how successful HTML5 will be. It is very uh, interesting. But you know what? Uh, Silverlight is, is I, I hate to use the word mature. Maybe it, it's been out there long enough now. It, it has a foothold. And I would be very, very, very surprised not to see it uh, to succeeding. Uh, adoption rates, I should say penetration rates in terms of the number of... Uh, browsers out there or internet-enabled devices that have Silverlight installed on them now are going up and up. Microsoft tracks those numbers. Um, I think it has a very bright future. Well, yeah, and, and again, it's just because there's overlap doesn't mean something will necessarily supplant one another. I mean, there's so many different types of applications and so many different types of developers and so many different needs from different companies, and having options is, is a good thing. It's absolutely a good thing. I mean, uh, when you look at uh, Silverlight and you compare it to Flash and Flex, um, you know, both of those platforms do some, some things really, really well. In fact, both of them do a lot of things really, really well. And, and yeah, there's quite a bit of overlap there. Um, is Silverlight ever going to kill Flash? Of course not. 
but neither is Flash going to kill Silverlight. And, and here's something else. Um, the competition is good. When you look at Microsoft historically, they do their best work when they, they fear for their future, when they're having <laughs> to compete very, very hard. Yeah. Um, I remember the days when uh, uh, Microsoft was fighting the language wars with Borland. And because Borland kept doing innovative things in their compilers, Microsoft had to do innovative things as well. And uh, once Borland kind of became a non-factor in the industry, um, all of a sudden it's, it sort of seemed like Microsoft's language products stagnated just a bit. It's good when we have tools and products and platforms out there competing against each other, not only because it gives developers choices, but because um, it, ins it motivates uh, uh, the owners of those technologies uh, to do even better. So let's go ahead and swing back over to some of the new things that are available for Silverlight 4. And you started to talk a little bit about printing. I see that as being something that as it's an essential feature that people will need if they have a, a line of business application. So tell us a little bit about some of what's happening um, behind the scenes. So when, when they go to print a page from Silverlight, is that basically just rasterizing that page and sending it to the printer as an image or what, what's happening there? It is, and actually you put your finger on something that uh, is one of the uh, uh, the downsides to Silverlight's uh, printing uh, support. So, so real quickly here, what they're doing in version 4 to support printing is they're adding a few new classes that uh, uh, embody the new print API. It starts with a class named print document. If you want to um, kick off a print job, you create a print document object, set a couple of properties on it, uh, register a handler for the print page event that it fires, for each page that needs to be printed, and then literally call print on that print document uh, to begin the print job. What happens then is each time Silverlight's ready to output another page to the printer, um, it fires a print page event. You you grab the event, and then you provide to, to the Silverlight runtime the XAML that, that you want to appear on that page. And the cool thing is uh, that XAML doesn't have to be anything like the XAML uh, that the user is seeing. So you have 100% flexibility uh, in formatting what is on the printed page uh, differently than what is on the, um, uh, on the screen. And if you want to do multi-page printing, there's a little property in the, the event args passed to the print page event handler. Uh, I believe it's called has more pages. You set that to true, and then Silverlight fires that event again. And you keep doing that and doing that until uh, print uh, has more pages is set to false, and then Silverlight stops firing the event. It's a very simple API. Uh, yes, the, my chief criticism of it, and this is something that the Silverlight team acknowledges, and it's not that big a deal, I guess, is that uh, uh, you know when you go out and buy that uh, that 65 page per minute laser printer that you've been lobbying your boss for, uh, <laughs> you only get that 65 pages per minute if you're blowing text out to the printer. Once you start blowing graphics out, things slow down a bit. Silverlight is indeed behind the scenes rasterizing the XAML that you've handed off to the printing engine. And even if that XAML contains text, text block objects, for example, it's not text that's being sent to the printer, it's images. So, so Silverlight printing will, will be slow compared to the way uh, Microsoft Word might print, for example. But the important thing is, at least we can finally print. And the API is robust enough that uh, we can print uh, whatever we want. We're not relegated to printing something that we've already shown to the user. Is there an effort being made to open it up so that you can send just clear text to the printer? Or I guess formatted text, not just... But, I mean, having the option of going either rasterize or, or some sort of vector? 
You know, I know, uh, uh, and I'm going to say up front here that uh, I don't have any specific inside knowledge with regard to this, and I say that because if I inadvertently break NDA, I don't want to get in trouble for it. <laughs> uh, I, I know that there have been some discussions along those lines. Uh, to my knowledge, there's nothing in the works, at least in version 4, uh, and certainly nothing that Microsoft has, has spoken about in public uh, that would fix that. I think they have so much work to do to get 4 going because it's a pretty ambitious release yeah. uh, that uh, they are not going to spend a lot of time on that. There are too many other a larger fish to fry. So when you're dealing with multiple pages, let, let's say you've, you build up some XAML and I guess depending on the aspect ratio that you're printing, if you decide at the last minute you switch your driver to landscape or whatever, I mean, how do you know if you really have more pages? How is that calculated? Do you have to section them off programmatically before you send things to the printer? Uh, you kind of do the sectioning on the fly. Bottom line is uh, each time that print page event fires, uh, unless you set... Uh, that has more pages property that I mentioned the true, it won't fire again, so another page won't be printed. So you, you uh, drive the, the continuity of the printing process by, uh, with that uh, property. But each time the print page event is fired, one of the pieces of information given to you through the event args is the printable page area. So you can at runtime on a per page basis say, okay, here's how much real estate I physically have available. Uh, you decide how much you can fit in, and then at the end, if you need another page, you set has more pages to true. Okay. So it is a very simple API. Well, it's probably one of those things that it doesn't really need to be much more complex, does it? Well, you're right. And you know what? There's, there's a lot of beauty and simplicity. Uh, uh, I like a simple API. Uh, <laughs> and there's, there's an inherent trade-off between simplicity and functionality. But uh, I, I personally think Microsoft has struck a pretty good balance here. So let's talk a little bit about the webcam and the microphone support and uh, sort of lay the foundation for us. What's required in order to get that happening inside your application? Uh, not much, uh, uh, interestingly enough. Uh, once you plug the webcam in and it's been recognized by the host OS, it's visible to uh, Silverlight as well. Uh, Silverlight uh, has a, a new API, and it's a fairly simple one for enumerating video and audio devices that way. Um, you know, uh, if you want to present a, a list of uh, webcams to a user to select from, for example, it's easy to build that list. Uh, or you can just say to Silverlight, uh, give me uh, the default audio uh, and uh, video device, and uh, it'll, it'll drive it. Uh, the API is really simple there as well. Um, a couple of new classes like Capture Source allow you to start a capture. Uh, there's a really cool little asynchronous method you can call to, uh, uh, to take a snapshot from, uh, uh, from the webcam capture to literally pull a, uh, a frame capture out of it. Uh, I, I tell you the one thing that's interesting about uh, webcam stuff right now, Craig, um, it's really, really easy. Uh, 10 or 20 lines of code, I can write for you a simple Silverlight app that uh, shows me on a webcam and uh, uh, captures the audio and stuff like that. Actually, doing something with that feed is a little bit more difficult. <laughs> that's my next uh, question. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And that's why you see all sorts of blog entries showing, a, hey, here's 10 lines of code that uh, shows how to use <laughs> webcam and Silverlight. Uh, that's because the author hasn't taken the time to write the, the thousand lines of code it takes to actually send that feed off somewhere. And, and it's why uh, I haven't blogged a lot about the webcam stuff either. The bottom line is uh, there are a couple of classes named Audio Sync and Video Sync. 
Um, and there are a few examples out there in the blogosphere. I believe Mike Talty uh, wrote one of them. He, he writes some amazing uh, blog entries. Um, uh, you end up deriving from those classes and actually writing quite a bit of infrastructure yourself uh, to take that feed and, and send it off somewhere else. Uh, I suspect, uh, and again, what I'm about to say is not based on any special inside knowledge, but I suspect uh, that this is something that the team will work on and that the full story hasn't been revealed uh, in the Silverlight beta. So stay tuned. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> if in the end, uh, if when uh, Silverlight 4 releases, uh, if, the, uh, if there is no more built-in support for uh, uh, syncing uh, the sources, then uh, I'll definitely write a blog entry around it with some, some sample code that shows uh, how to do it, uh, and I'll try to make that reusable so that uh, people aren't having to reinvent the wheel over and over. Okay. So what, what's happening as, as you're capturing, let's talk about video for a second. Are, you're, you're creating a buffer on the client, I would imagine, and you just have to send chunks over at certain intervals back to the server? Uh, that's exactly right. Um, okay. you are, everything is being uh, captured on the client, and uh, uh, if you want, that, if you want to, to shoot those frames out somewhere, shoot the contents of the buffer out, um, at least in the beta, that's something that you have to do. Okay. So, um, and it's really, really important here, I think, that the Silverlight runtime itself uh, provide a little bit more support for um, doing something with those streams. Um, and I would be a little bit surprised if, if the team uh, doesn't do something with that. Okay. Uh, and, and again, I actually don't uh, talk that much to the folks who own that part of Silverlight, so uh, I'm not sure exactly what they're doing there or what they have planned beyond the beta. Okay. You don't talk to them because, um, you know, they didn't open the door for you one day or you guys got in a tip? Or... <laughs> well, actually, I don't know who on the team owns that. Uh, 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 my, my relationship with Microsoft is kind of, uh, kind of interesting. I don't live in Redmond, Washington. Um, I live uh, in, in Knoxville, Tennessee, but, but I spend a, a lot of my life out in Redmond. <laughs> and, um, uh, you know, over, the, over time, I've I've met a lot of people uh, on the Silverlight team, met a lot of the PMs, some of the devs and stuff like that. They've been very, very nice to me. Uh, um, I, you know, they, they like to support people who are out there blogging about their products and stuff. They were kind enough to uh, invite me to be a Silverlight MVP, which gives me some, some inside access. But I'm not uh, sitting out there on the campus right. all day, every day, like most of the team members are. So, so I'm not nearly as in the loop as someone who's on the team every day. So with the file system access, is that something that is only available with an out-of-browser experience? Or if you're working within the browser, can you access some of the, the special folders? So uh, short story is that the new uh, expanded file system access is only available to out-of-browser applications um, and specifically only to out-of-browser apps that run with elevated permissions. And um, I'm sure you, you're well aware that... Um, one of the, the really, really big pieces of news in Silverlight um, is trusted applications. Um, you know, it's much more exciting than printing and stuff like that. <laughs> I was telling someone the other day, I can't remember the last time I laid awake at night thinking, if only Silverlight could print. <laughs> but trusted apps, they're a lot more exciting. So, yeah, uh, you have to be a trusted application, which means... You have to be outside the browser in order to use the, the new expanded file system access. Okay. So let's dig into some of the elevated permissions as well. So like b before, like paint a picture, 
for us of what it was like before Silverlight 4. How sandboxed were you? What could you not do? And contrast that with what's available now. Okay. So Silverlight applications uh, have always run in a sandbox, and, and they have to because uh, we can't let people write malicious applications that format a user's hard disk or something like that. And, and the sandbox is based on a, a relatively simple uh, three-tier security model called the transparency model. Um, folks who, who haven't dug into Silverlight security could probably uh, do a search on uh, Silverlight transparency model and find uh, all the information they needed. But what the sandboxing meant was that there were certain things that a Silverlight application in the past simply could not do. In Silverlight 3, for example, um, uh, in order to touch the local file system, to open a file for reading, uh, to, to create a file or write to a file, um, it, you could not do that without involving the user. Uh, and what that really meant was that the application had to pop up either an open file dialog or a save file dialog so that the user would know that the app was attempting to access the file system and could say yes or no. Now, nominally, a Silverlight 4 application uh, is still subject to that same restriction. Um, and in fact, even if uh, you deploy a Silverlight 4 application out of browser as, as a normal untrusted app, even though it's running outside the browser, it's still in the sandbox and it still doesn't have any more file system access than Silverlight 3 did. However, if you check that little box in Visual Studio that says deploy this as, as a, a, an application with elevated permissions, then when the user installs that, uh, app as an out-of-browser app on their machine, they see a, a scary little dialogue that says, this application can harm your computer. Are you sure <laughs> you want to do this? And if the user says yes, then each and every time the application runs, it's running with elevated permissions. A and one of the things, uh, one of the privileges that that type of app enjoys is not unlimited access to the local file system, but much expanded access. Um, and you asked about, so, you know, what, what were some of the main limitations of the sandboxing? Well, uh, the file system um, was a big one, um, uh, probably the biggest. But, you know, among other things, um, a Silverlight application is not allowed to p-invoke down to the underlying operating system, uh, which is a good thing because if they were, they could uh, uh, write malicious applications. Now, uh, even a trusted app in Silverlight 4 can't p-invoke, uh, which is a good thing. But something else that uh, trusted apps get to do in Silverlight 4 that uh, wasn't possible in Silverlight 3, at least not without some hacks, um, is leveraging COM automation servers uh, on the host machine. Now, that may not sound that exciting right off the bat, but the cool thing about it is that most Microsoft products, including uh, you know, Microsoft Office and all of its various components, uh, expose functionality uh, to script as uh, uh, as COM automation servers, and now we can leverage those same uh, server interfaces. Uh, so, just a, a couple of practical examples in Silverlight 3. If you wanted to build an application that had an uh, email this link to a friend button in it, um, it nominally wasn't possible to do it. Although you you might have been able to do it by jumping out to JavaScript and doing some hacks there. But in Silverlight 4, if an application is running out of browser with elevated permissions. It can use the new COM Automation Factory class uh, to fire up Outlook and send off that email message with just a few lines of code. So I think once developers realize it's there, they're going to find it to be pretty useful. Well, I saw this really interesting blog post where someone had taken some data that they were manipulating in Silverlight, and with a press of a button, it created an Excel sheet 
It created a chart within the Excel sheet, then copied all that information to the clipboard and pasted it into a Word doc and then opened both of them up for the user to manipulate. Uh, pretty amazing, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, it sounds like one of uh, Mike Talty's uh, entries because uh, he did something. He published a really cool sample that uses Excel to do charting. Uh, but uh, yeah, uh, and just you know, maybe you don't need to do that in your Silverlight app, but that doesn't mean that, that, that someone else um, uh, doesn't either. They, they may need to. Well, let, let, me, let me tell you the one downside to this comm automation support uh, in Silverlight, Craig. Um, there are very, very, very few features in Silverlight that don't work across all the platforms and in all the browsers that Silverlight supports. Um, and this comm automation support actually represents a, a bit of a break from that. Um, automation, well, comm in general, is, is something that only works uh, on the Windows operating system. So this is a Windows-only feature. I, if you choose to use this in your Silverlight apps, um, it won't work on a Macintosh because you don't have comm automation servers over there. Uh, and people will debate, I think, whether that's a good thing or a bad thing. To be honest with you, um, sometimes I find myself being a bit of a purist and saying, if it can't work on every platform, then I don't want it in the runtime. But when you think about it, this, this automation support can be so extraordinarily useful. Um, I think probably the team made the right choice. Yeah, I think this is a no-brainer. I think if you want to make Silverlight uh, attractive to as many people as possible, and you're a company that happens to write applications like Outlook and Excel and Word, you know, it, it just you have to... Uh, poke a hole in something somewhere to make it uh, available. Wouldn't you say? Uh, I, I agree. And uh, there are people that will disagree. Uh, I, I know some of those people, and, and they're wonderful people, but uh, uh, they are people who tend to be purists about platforms and languages and, and stuff like that. And um, everybody's different, but, but I'm, I'm not so much a purist as I am a pragmatist. I mean, in my opinion, uh, if code works, then it can't, <laughs> it can't be totally bad code. Right. Uh, now, I'll be the first to admit, yeah, I've written code over the years that uh, it works, um, but the only people that would say it's pretty are those who haven't seen it, and I wouldn't <laughs> want that code seen. But uh, no, I am more of a pragmatist, and from a pragmatist standpoint, it was the right decision to include that comm automation support in Silverlight 4. Well, and, and talking about code that, that works is uh, you know something that apparently is going to be a new feature in just about any Silverlight 4 application is uh, based off of something you wrote where you can vocalize um, error messages. Yeah, you, you read that post. You, let me tell you why I wrote that. One, it was a, um, uh, it was a blog entry that uh, uh, contained a, a downloadable sample app that uh, vocalizes the error messages and exceptions. And what I'm doing there is using uh, the new Calm Automation support in Silverlight 4 in a trusted application, of course, to use uh, Microsoft's text-to-speech API. Um, it gets laughs at conferences, but, but I think I said in the blog entry, and I'll reiterate here, probably don't want to do this in a real application. <laughs> but that seems like a good way if you want to get started um, figuring out how this works. You know, you don't have to have Office installed or anything like that. You can kind of crack open that sample app and, and, and work just with Windows. Well, you're right. And, and, and you know, uh, um, uh, frivolity aside, uh, there are real reasons why you might want to include voice um, in a Silverlight application. You know, what if you're building a navigational software or something like that? Um, and you want, uh, you want that software to be able to speak directions to the user. There are 
uh, genuine uh, and valid reasons for wanting to have voice. It would have been very difficult to do in previous versions, but the cool thing is now we have that option. Now, one of the things that I noticed was um, an issue for elevated permissions was the ability to support HTML rendering. And I was curious, can, can you tell us why that is something that requires elevated permissions? So, uh, yes, I, I can. And, and uh, let me clear up a point of confusion. Um, uh, and I've noticed a, a lot of people kind of miss this. And, and uh, in fact, I probably have myself at times. You actually don't have to have elevated permissions in Silverlight 4 to display HTML content, to do HTML hosting. But you do have to be an out-of-browser application. Um, and, and that's a decision that um, has been debated quite a bit internally and externally. In fact, uh, Microsoft has gotten a lot of feedback saying, why are we not able to host HTML in an in-browser Silverlight application? Um, and there are reasons um, that uh, I think haven't been discussed in public a whole lot. But as long as you're out of browser, you can host HTML even without the elevated permissions. But here's the catch. Um, if you don't have elevated permissions, you can't, to first order at least, display cross-domain content. So in other words, if, you're, if your Silverlight application, uh, technically if the zap file that contains that application is located at, say, wintelect.com or infragistics.com, um, but it's wanting to download HTML uh, content from bing.com, well, it's a cross-domain download, and it can't happen uh, unless the application has elevated permissions. There is a sneaky way around that, by the way, uh, and you've probably seen this. You can use the web browser controls navigate to string method uh, and just push into it an HTML string containing an iframe that refer whose source attribute refers to that cross-domain content. Uh, so there, you can, in that way, display the cross-domain content even in an app that doesn't have elevated permissions. And people see that and they say, wait a minute, isn't that a security hole? Well, it's really not, because when you think about it, that's legal in HTML, right? You can declare an iframe, point it uh, via the source attribute to anything else. Um, and that's one of the criterion that the, the team uses to, to judge whether Silverlight should be allowed to do it as well. Now, speaking about the, the hosting HTML support, you have a, a rendering engine that will render HTML within Silverlight, and you're doing it in an out-of-browser context. So is this... Is this one of those things where it only works on Windows? So, I, because I'm curious, you know, what if you uninstalled all the browsers from your machine and tried to run this? Is it still using the IE um, rendering engine? Uh, so, it does work on other uh, platforms and other browsers. Uh, in Safari on the Macintosh, for example, um, it's not actually using IE. Technically, it's not using um, um, any particular browser rendering engine there. Um, so, in fact, I've never tried this. Of course, it's hard to uninstall IE, but in theory, <laughs> you, if you uninstalled IE from your box, it should still work. Okay, so, so it's basically Silverlight's uh, HTML rendering control is, is its own little render, its own little browser, basically. It is, and uh, I'm going to say something that I think is correct, but I'm not going to guarantee it's correct, but I believe that on Windows, um, what Silverlight's doing when it's hosting HTML is using 
the web browser component that is installed on most Windows machines. Um, if that's the case, and I believe that's the case, then they're, they're using something equivalent but not identical over on the Macintosh platform. Uh, and I can't tell you exactly what that is, uh, in part because I don't own a Mac. Um, it, it's interesting if you look under the hood uh, to see uh, how Silverlight does different things on different platforms. Um, and, and I'll give you one good example of that. Um, one of the, the really interesting and useful features that showed up in Silverlight 3 was support for GPUs, or graphics hardware acceleration. Um, not a lot has been uh, spoken or written, to my knowledge, about uh, how Silverlight actually leverages the GPU. Uh, but here's what it does. If it finds itself running on top of Windows, it uses the DirectX API to, to leverage the GPU. Um, and it does require a certain version of DirectX uh, 9 point something or something like that or higher uh, to be installed where it can't leverage the GPU. Over on the Macintosh, uh, where there is no DirectX, if you use GPU acceleration in Silverlight on a Mac, it uses OpenGL um, as, as an abstraction layer for the GPU. So, so there are lots of instances of that in Silverlight where um, a feature actually works very, very different internally based on what platform you're on and based on um, what types of, of components uh, are, are installed on those platforms. Um, and the HTML hosting is one of those. Okay. So yeah, it's just using abstraction layers for anything that might change based off of the different platforms. It is, which makes a lot of sense when you think about it. Makes a lot of sense. Now, one of the other things that is going to be very, very uh, appreciated by people who use the software that we write is clipboard support. Yes. And I was curious. Now, it, it seems like when you go through and you copy something to the clipboard, it, it prompts you and says, you know, this application would like to access your clipboard. Is that okay? Is there any way to be able to save that so that you can uh, store that preference for uh, different sessions so that every time they use your app, they don't have to see that? Right, through group policy or something like that, which would make a, a, a ton of sense. So uh, the short answer is, to my knowledge, in the, in the beta there is not. However, there are other places in the, the beta that is available to the public right now where group policy can be used to, to achieve that sort of thing. Um, uh, all I can say is the team is aware of this. Uh, there's some really smart people on the team, and you know who knows what's going to happen later on. But the clipboard specifically, to my knowledge, in the beta, uh, you cannot uh, set or, or unset those permissions through group policy or through registry settings or anything like that. Okay. Well, tell us now, since you've had uh, all the experience working with the beta, um, is there anything that you would like to see? Just blue sky, what would you like to see Silverlight include in the future, even if it never makes it into version 4? Oh, wow. Well, yeah, what would I like to see it include in the future? Wow, it's a great question. You know what? If you would ask me that question after Silverlight 3, I could have given you a million uh, different things <laughs> I wanted. It's amazing, though. Most of it has, uh, has shown up in Silverlight 4. You know, I think uh, one, one thing that might be useful in Silverlight going into the future is uh, expanded uh, device access. Uh, although I think by covering printers, webcams, microphones, things like that, they've certainly um, uh, hit the big ones. Um, one of my personal wishes is full 3D support, kind of like uh, WPF has or what you could do 
uh, in Windows today with Direct3D or, or even OpenGL. Um, and I'll be the first to admit that's probably not something that everyone wants, but my, my introduction to computers many years ago was basically through um, 3D graphics over in the engineering world. I've always been fascinated by them. And uh, generally, w when I get my hands on a new platform and want to start learning it, working it over a bit, if it has a 3D API, that's the first thing that I go to. <laughs> Forget Hello World. That's Let's right. get some cute spinning on that screen, you know? <laughs> Now, something that you uh, mentioned about device support uh, in the future, um, with Silverlight 4, at least in the beta, do you know if you can access uh, CD drives, DVD drives, USB drives, things of that nature? Uh, to my knowledge, you can't, and I'm, I'm pretty okay. sure that, uh, that that hasn't escaped my knowledge. No, it's uh, we don't have unfettered device access. It's limited device access, but no, I don't think so. You know, one, one thing that... Uh, um, has, has, been, has been brought up to me several times by devs is I need to be able to access the serial port. And mm. I'm in, inwardly I'm thinking it, it's 2010. You know what? I've still got one of my, my favorite computer books of all time and I've gotten going back to the early 80s was a really, really detailed and thick book on RS-232 communications from back in the, in the mid-80s. Um, and it was a wonderful book but I, I'd hate to have to go back and read it now. Oh, seriously. <laughs> it's well, like, what do they want to do? A Silverlight application with a dongle or, you know. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And, and, you know, to be fair, um, I know uh, uh, engineers and, and folks who work in laboratories who, who are building software to, to interface with, with devices. Those interactions are, are often done through serial ports. So that may be the genesis of, of some of that. But sure. it's hard to go to Best Buy today and find anything you can talk to through a serial port. So is there anything that, that you want to tell people about? Are you working on any books or are you speaking anywhere or anything you want to promote right now? Uh, sure. Uh, first off, I'm not working on any uh, books. Uh, I, I think I'm past that stage of my life. I'm not getting any younger. And um, if, I, if I ever write another book, Craig, it's probably going to be a novel. I, I really, really <laughs> want to write a novel. But computer books, I don't know. So I, I am doing quite a lot of blogging. A um, couple of uh, engagements I've got coming up. Um, I just uh, signed on with Microsoft to do a Silverlight uh, uh, full-day pre-conference session at TechEd uh, in June in New Orleans. I believe it's on Sunday, June the 6th. And I've got some really, really cool stuff planned there. Uh, so I'd love uh, if people are coming to TechEd uh, and are interested in Silverlight to, to have them join that session there. Also, um, if anyone is listening who's uh, overseas, uh, one of my favorite in fact, probably my very favorite overseas conference every year is one named Dev Week in London. Uh, Nick Payne is, a, is an old friend of mine. Uh, his company uh, owns and runs the conference. Um, and I set it, set it out last year because uh, I just needed some time at home. But I'm going back this year. I'm looking really, really forward to it. Uh, it's in mid-March. Uh, DevWeek.com, I believe, uh, has all the information. So uh, if we have any UK friends out there, I, I, I'd love to see you there. Uh, one final thing, um, one of the things that I do from time to time, like training-wise, is uh, do what at Winelect we call virtual courses. Um, most of the Silverlight training I do is done uh, internally to Microsoft, and the public doesn't get to attend those classes. Uh, we also do on-sites for companies other than Microsoft, but in February we're doing a two-day virtual class through live meeting, and I'm presenting some of the same content that I use to train Microsoft developers inside Microsoft. 
Uh, we're calling the event Let's Have a Silverlight Party. Uh, hardcore stuff. I've got some really great stuff to talk about and good demos to show. Uh, so if you uh, are interested, I'd love to have you sign up for the class, and you can do that through our website. Excellent. And that's uh, wintelect.com? That's correct. Okay, great. Well, sir, it's been an absolute pleasure. You're welcome back anytime. And when you get the novel ready, uh, let us know and we'll have a, a reading. Craig, you will be the first to know. <laughs> okay. And, uh, and I'm going to count on you to read that first chapter. Uh, All right. Word for word over the air, okay? You got it. Hey, but, thank you, sir. It's good to talk to you again. Thanks, you too. Jeff Proceis, uh, awesome guy, really enjoyed talking to him. Now, if you're getting into Silverlight 4 and you have feedback, I have a tiny URL link here for you. Go to tinyurl.com slash sl4-feedback. SL4 for Silverlight 4 dash feedback. That takes you right to the forums and that's where the team wants you to be able to put in any feedback that you have for the beta. Well, this is Craig Shoemaker. I thank you so very much for checking out Pixel 8. Thanks a lot for joining me, and I will be talking to you soon. Pixelate Radio, on the web at getpixelated.com. That's get, pixel, the number eight, ed.com. All rights reserved, copyright 2010. Infragistics. On the web at infragistics.com.